Today, we are going to be entering into the story of Jesus in his last week. We are one week away from Easter, so we call this Holy Week. So Holy Week begins right now, um, and we are going to, to explore what it is that Jesus does as he enters into Jerusalem. It's a unique thing, and, uh, and, and we call it Palm Sunday. So we'll get to that in a second. Last week, we studied what happened two days before Palm Sunday. Two days before Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus is having dinner with his friends Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Now, Lazarus is not just a friend. He's a friend that had died, and, 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 and then he was dead for three days, and then Jesus came along and said, hey, come on out. Let's have a party. So he came out, and, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, were really happy about that. And uh, Martha, always was hap- when she was happy, she would host and run around and make, th- make things beautiful for people. And when Mary, <laughs> Mary was happy about things, she would just pour herself out at their feet. So she took a bottle of $30,000 perfume and she, of uh, nard, and you missed it last week. This whole room smelled like nard. It was wonderful. And uh, wonderful, right, everyone? Yeah. For, yeah, we're going to just tell everyone who wasn't here that it smelled nice. So... She dumps this over Jesus' head, his beard, his arms, and over his feet. And they say, why didn't you give this money to the poor? And we learned that there's something powerful about being extravagant in our worship of Jesus Christ because it is in those very moments when we recognize who Jesus Christ is and we lift up Jesus and we pour everything out before Jesus that we actually are able to draw focus to the very thing which allows us to transform the, the reality for poor people in this world. If we, it, we came to the conclusion that, that if, if we never understand why we do what we do, if the world never understands that, then, then total injustice takes place for all of the world. And so then it appears that this was in the town of Bethany. And they were in this town of Bethany, and, uh, and, and then they stayed for a day for Sabbath, for church, to worship. And then Jesus says, you know, it's time to go into Jerusalem. And they were headed to Jerusalem for the big Passover feast. Now, I've always said Passover is like a combination of Easter, Thanksgiving, July 4th, and Christmas. Imagine all those holidays into one, and that's what you get with Passover. An incredible feast. Big deal. Millions of Jewish people would travel to Jerusalem, always on foot. You ever heard of a pilgrimage where people walk? Well, they would walk from all over the earth, all over the, all over the world. They would travel by foot to Jerusalem, and they would arrive at the Passover, and they would celebrate this feast, this, this feast that would remind them of when all the Jews, one, once upon a time, had been enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And as a result of God's goodness and, and, and leading the people through Moses, they were led out of slavery, and all of the darkness that they had experienced as a result of slavery had been destroyed, and then they were led out into the desert. And they were freed. And this is what they were celebrating. They were celebrating that, that they had not died under the hand of Pharaoh. And that God had saved them in a powerful way. Um, and so that's what they were celebrating at Passover. So Jesus is headed there for Passover as he had done many years before. And he knew the area because he always visited his friends Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And so now we get our story of where Jesus is heading out of this, this town he loves called Bethany. It's only a couple miles away from Jerusalem. And he's headed up this hill called the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem. Amen, Fiona, thank you. And then coming down the other side, I hear the donkey just cheering. Yes, I remember it. Um, that was my ancestor. Anyway, so he comes down the other side. So let's read the scripture that we have today. After he had said this, Jesus laid down 
laid down the law a little bit. You can read into it if you want more. But after he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. We actually find out how Jesus led, led, leads there, by the way. He goes ahead of us. He goes on to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, right, uh, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples. Jesus, when he sends people, by the way, you'll notice that he always sends two people. He doesn't send one. If you're ever going on a mission for Jesus, I recommend that you find out who that other person is that Jesus is sending you with. It will change the way you do your ministry, and it will make it a thousand times more effective. He's saying, go into the village to these two disciples ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt. Now, interesting, it says a colt. A colt is like a young horse that is very muscular. And then other texts say there's a donkey. And then other texts say there's a colt and a donkey. I don't know. Uh, I've read it all. That's, you basically just made a big question mark there. Um, and he says, a colt that has never been ridden. That's a big deal. Anybody remember the movie Man from Snowy River? You remember that one? <laughs> That's so great. The only person who raises his hand is my friend back here who's, how old are you? 11. He's 11. So he, and that's, like, that's so cool that you've seen that movie. Your parents are awesome parents for introducing you to that. That's how it happened. So uh, anyway, riding horses that have not been broken is insanely risky stuff. Get, get a colt that has never been ridden, untie it, and bring it here. And he says to them, the scripture goes on, next slide, if anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. Now, it was not uncommon for people to uh, borrow horses or to borrow pachyderms or to borrow donkeys or whatever they were. I mean, it was like a, like Enterprise Rent-A-Car. They must have had Enterprise Rent-A-Horse back then. And so you would just have a place where you'd need a horse for whatever, carrying stuff or riding, and then you could go get it. And it was probably not uncommon just to borrow something like that. And so what's uncommon is that they're borrowing an unbroken horse. It's like borrowing a car with no wheels. You, know? <laughs> well, you sure you want to borrow that car? Uh, why wouldn't you want to borrow a different one? So uh, that's my take on it. So, so, they, they were, so those who were sent departed and found it as, they, as he told them. As they were untying tying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they give this awesome line. They said, the Lord needs it. Scripture goes on to say, then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the ground, on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, so now he's coming down this mountain that's out just... So if you're, standing at the, if you're standing at the temple, at the center of Jerusalem, you see this mountain where the sun comes up every, every morning. It comes right up over the mountain. And they're always looking up that mountain because... Hundreds, hundreds of years earlier, there was a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And Zechariah said, the Messiah will come on the Mount of Olives. So every morning, they look with expectation for their Savior, the one who would save them. And you can imagine the heartbreak every morning if you were really expectant. And, and you just looked, and you looked over at that sun coming up, and there was no Messiah, no one to save you. Hundreds of years of pain and difficulty that the people had gone through uh, Right at this time that Jesus was going in, there was Roman occupation. And the whole city was surrounded by crucifixes, just crucifixes along the roads. This was a horrible, horrible government. Government that would, if people uh, looked like they were going to overthrow the government in any way, they would crucify them. Just crucify people. It was awful, awful time. And so, so, now, so now Jesus comes over that mountain. 
fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, which says that he will ride in on a donkey. And so then the scripture says that they were laying their cloaks on the ground, yelling out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. What does that sound like, by the way? Anybody? Does that sound like another time of year? It sounds like Christmas. It, absolutely. A plus. That is, that is the, what the angels are yelling, right? This is what the, the angels are saying to the, to, the, to the shepherds. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And let's read on. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, now notice, they don't call him Messiah, do they? And they don't call him Lord. They call him what? Teacher. Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out. The stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord, and we like to say, thanks be to God. One of the things that that we know about Easter is that Jesus is crucified, for sure, four days after he enters into the city of Jerusalem. Five days. And in that process, there's this uh, Thursday evening when they have a supper called the Passover Supper or the Lord's Supper. And it's the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before going to the garden and then being arrested. And by the way, this Thursday, here at the church at 7 o'clock, we have a beautiful worship service. It's it's candlelit, but the candles disappear one at a time until finally the last candle is put out until Easter morning. It will change your Easter if you've never been to this service. It's a beautiful service. 7 p.m. this Thursday. And... Then later in the evening, Jesus is arrested, and then through the night, he is tried. He's put to trial. And no witnesses, by the way, ever stand up for Jesus. Not one person ever says, hey, you know what? I'll tell you who Jesus really is. All these people start lying about who Jesus is. And then Pontius Pilate is confused, this government official who is is crucifying Jesus and executing Jesus, and it's in his hands. Should he be executed or should he not be executed? And he goes up to Jesus, and he asks him, are you the king? And Jesus says, you say that I am. You say that I am. And then, and then Jesus says, it is for truth that I came into this world. It's for the truth that I came into this world. And Pontius Pilate, in the midst of all of his confusion, he says these beautiful words that are so sad. He says this, what is truth? What is truth? You know, we like to think that we live in this special time of relativism where, only, where nobody really knows what truth is. I'm sorry, I just see it time and time again. There's no difference between our day and age and the time of the Bible. Actually, C.S. Lewis says that it's a kind of, it's a kind of uh, what, what would you say? Um, it's diminutive when you say that the people of the Bible were dumber than we are. It's elitism at its worst when you say that those people were not as smart as we are today. And it's not helpful. Because Pilate is standing in the midst of all of this difficulty and he says these words, what is truth? We live in an age when science fiction is actually seemingly more real sometimes than science. Doesn't it feel like that? And we live in a time when, I know it sounds crazy, I think it might be crazy, but I think it might not. 
there will be people living probably in our lifetime on different planets than this one. That's just mind-blowing to me. And, but in case you do think I'm crazy, there's some uh, maniacal genius called Elon Musk who wants to put a base on Mars and have people living on Mars. So just in case you didn't catch the memo on that one, I'm just catching you up. I can think of nothing more truthful than a rock, than a stone. Stones don't lie. I remember uh, I used to um, be a part of a Boy Scout troop. Uh, By the way, Martin Rush is here. He just got his Eagle Scout this last week, and I think it's so cool that he got his Eagle Scout, and I got to be there for that ceremony. I'm so proud of him. Um, When I was in when I was in getting my Eagle Scout, I got, to, uh, I got to be led by the head geologist for the state of Utah. And when he went on trips, he would always pick up rocks, and he would pick up a rock like this, and he'd say, oh, this rock, you know, this rock has a story. And if you look at the lines here, you'll realize that it was, uh, it's 750 million years old or whatever. And, and that it was, that the water ha- has rushed over this, and you can see that, that, that it had been in the water this long, and, and that it had come from this kind of geological formation. See, he could actually tell you what had happened based on what this rock was. I remember, do you remember the movie River Runs Through It? I'm th- showing my age. River Runs Through It is a beautiful movie where they, say, they talk about the stones beneath the river. And the father who's the preacher takes the sons out into the river as they're fly fishing. And he, he goes down and he says, you know, beneath the stones there are stories. Beneath the stones there are words from the basement of time. These stones preach. They preach the truth, the truth of, of what has happened in this world. And, and if I can think about even the scripture that we opened our worship service today with, Jesus is the rock. We recognize that this was not an allegory that was foreign to them. Then this last October, we asked every single one of you in this service to write a word on a stone. And we asked you to write a word asking what you wanted from God in, in the coming months, in the coming year of your life, for the vision for your life. And so then we asked each of you to write a word on a stone, and this word says sustenance, something that you wanted to receive from God and that you wanted to give to the world. And then we had you drop it into a pool that we had at the back there, and you dropped it into the pool, and we asked you to watch the ripples go outward. To be reminded that when you contribute God's goodness to the world, that there's a ripple effect, that there's a transformation that takes place in the world around you. And I'd like you to think about those ripples heading out from, from the stone that you drop into the, dropped into the water six months ago. And now those, those answered prayers, those requests from God have become true in your life, in some of your lives. And those ripples, in some cases, have become great waves crashing on the shores of distant lands. Imagine that, just, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, crashing in on the ocean, on the shore of a different, distant land, another continent. I love the ocean. Do you guys ever go to the ocean and just stand there when there's crashing waves? And, and I was standing there with someone the other day, and we were looking out at the ocean, and we did this face. I don't know, do you know the face I'm talking about? There's only one face that you can have when you look at the ocean. It's the King Henry V Shakespearean speech face. It's like this. It's kind of like, like that. I don't know. What it, I don't know. What, I'm not doing it. That's probably not right, but kind of like this. 
And I turned to him and said, it's kind of weird. You've never seen anyone, like, laughing at the ocean. Have you? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's still, you know, like, I don't know that's a horrible laugh. I'm a really bad actor. But you've never seen, there's always the same look that everybody has. And, and it's, it's this look of mystery. It's this look of awe. It's this look of truth that you're encompassed by the truth of the chaos and the beauty and the symmetry and everything. You can't even take it in. And at some point, you just get lost in the vastness of how big this world is, how small we are, how miraculous and beautiful everything around us is. And I was standing there because I was performing a wedding of a couple at this church. Paul and Sandy Riley, are they here today? Paul and Sandy Riley come every, every week to this service, and they asked me to be able to, to, to marry them at the ocean. And what they did is they said, you know, don't just come down for the day of the wedding. We'd like you to come down uh, the night before, and we'd like you to stay at the surf and sand in Laguna Beach. I'm, I, I've, like, I've never stayed in a hotel on the, on the ocean. Or, <laughs> it's crazy. And I went, and I said, oh, surf and sand, whatever sounds nice, nice motel. So I went down there. It wasn't a motel. It was really beautiful. And then we went in, and they r- welcomed us to their room. And it was oh, gorgeous. There's a balcony that is hanging out over the beach. It was beautiful. And then they said, we had fun. We played some games, and we talked about the service. And then, uh, and then they're like, hey, you know it is our wedding, so we'd like some time alone. So they said, would you like to go up to your room? So we went up to our room, and we went up to our room. It's kind of a surprise. And, and we went to the other building, and, and we discovered that they had put us in a much nicer room than they had. The top floor. I couldn't figure out why. Why would someone do that on their wedding? Why would someone give someone else the better room on their wedding? I don't even understand that. And... I just sat there. It was such a nice room that there was a mirror above the balcony. Have you ever seen this in your life? Probably. A mirror above the balcony. And you could lay on, I put a pillow on the ground and I laid down and I looked up and you could see the ocean crashing if you looked into the mirror. <laughs> just like, and, and I was just surrounded not just by the goodness of having some time with my wife without three kids, but also the goodness of just, just recognizing that that I'm alive and that this earth is chaotic and beautiful and it's crashing in around me and that somehow I've experienced a goodness that just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's just, you, you can only express it as gospel. That kind of goodness. Well, flash forward, it's been a couple of weeks and my wife has gotten really sick. And, um, and she, uh, it, it's been really tough on her and I want to say on me, but it, it has, it's been really tough. And, um, and she has surgery coming up uh, Monday, not tomorrow, but eight days from now. And she decided that she would go to Circle of Women, which is her small group that has about 40 women. I, they all say I say there's too many. I look in, there's always 100 in there, or 200 or 300. I can never see. But they tell me it's like 30, 40 women on Thursday. And it's not the thing you want to do when you're feeling sick to go to a small group, believe me. Or when you've got something private that you're dealing with and you're just wondering how to, de- how to manage it. And so she's in her small group. She's thinking, I'm just going to kind of knuckle it out through the group. And then, and then she just says one thing leads to another and she shares what's going on in her life. And then she said it was the best thing in the world. Someone prayed for her and it meant so much to her. 
the way that the words came out of her mouth, and it was just so beautiful. And then she said, someone else said, hey, you know, maybe we can just provide meals for you the week before your surgery and the week after your surgery. And she came away from that and said, they're, they're giving us a meal every single night. And, and last night, I was able to go home and, and make a meal that had been prepared by someone else and to spend that extra 30 minutes with my kids and, or, or an hour, however long it would be. And, and we're not needy. We, we can pay for our food. But it was so humbling. And it was so overwhelming to experience that goodness in a way that you just can't deny. I want you to think about your life and the, thing, the ways in which you've experienced that kind of goodness. Is there a way that you have experienced beauty or goodness in your life? I can see you guys. I see some of you with the most beautiful families, beautiful kids, beautiful friends in your life. I've talked to you guys and, and heard about the stories that you've had of God's goodness in your life. I want you to think about that right now. Because as Jesus was coming up over the Mount of Olives, and those disciples were waving their palms, they were not talking about a story that they'd read in the Bible. They were talking about their real-life experience with Jesus. They were talking about the time when Jesus went up to this crazy lunatic who had lived in a cave his whole entire life. He was so crazy, he would tear his chains apart, and he would yell at night, and there was no hope for him. And Jesus goes up to this guy who's living in the caves, and he says, demons come out of this guy. And the guy is suddenly transformed, and he's completely healed. And then he goes up to this, this they bring in this, this horrible, horrible cycle of violence that these people had lived in. They bring this woman who had committed adultery up to Jesus, and they say, we're going to take these little stones, and we're going we're gonna, to like, throw them at her until she just gets injured so many times she just starts to bleed, and she dies. It's called stoning her. We're just going to do it, and, and, and everybody will throw a little rock. Can you imagine the, the, the terror of such a death? And Jesus says to them, he who, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And you know what happened? They all dropped their stones. Every one of them dropped their stones. And then another time, Jesus goes up to his best friend's tomb, Lazarus's tomb, who's been dead for three days, and he says, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus gets up and walks out. See, the stones are doing the preaching. And even on Jesus' crucifixion, we are told in Scripture that there was an earthquake when Jesus died. When everybody else was silent and no one else was willing to say, Jesus Christ did this in my life, not one person, not one disciple, we like to put all the blame on Judas. We say, Judas, isn't that how we do it in this society? We find one person that we think, now that's the kind of person that has all the sin in the world, and that's the person who's worse than we are. But that's not true, is it? See, those people, all of those disciples, they failed. They went up to Peter, who was the most faithful disciple and at the trial, and they said, Peter... Do you even know who Jesus is? And he says, I've never seen the guy in my life. Then, then as, if, as if to say that he had, might have gotten it wrong, are you sure? Because I swear I've seen you with him a couple of times. He says, no, n- never, never been with the guy. I have, have nothing to do with him. At his trial, he just needed one person to say who Jesus really was and what Jesus had really done in their life. Can you imagine? And so now we have... Palm Sunday, when Jesus is riding down over the Mount of Olives and the people are waving the palms. The disciples are saying how good Jesus is. But they're not just saying that. If you look at the other scriptures, they're saying, 
They're saying, hallelujah, praise be to God, glory to God in the highest heaven, hallelujah, 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 yes. And they're saying, hosanna, 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 which means God's, God, anyone know? Save us. You see, there's this beautiful thing when you're in Jesus' presence that you say these two things in the same time when you praise Jesus. You say not just God is everything, but you also say, I realize that I'm not, and that I need God, and I need him so bad. So it's a save us and praise God at the same time. And it's in that very act, and I want you to see the visual. The disciples are taking off their shirts. Not just like, oh, one of their many, many shirts, like we have lots of shirts in our closet. They're taking off their only shirt, and they're throwing it on. So you see these shirtless disciples throwing their garments down before Jesus just to say how much they revere Jesus and lift up Jesus in their life. And yet those same disciples, only four days later, are not willing to stand up for him, not one of them. In fact, they're willing to put all the blame on Judas, it seems. So are we. See, as we head into Easter, it's really important for us to come to grips with truth, with the truth of our pain. See, when we go into a small group and we are hurting and we share that truth of where we are in our life, we allow God's grace to enter in and to wash over us like the ocean. It just comes crashing in on us. Even the very nature of baptism is this thing where we get cleansed, we get washed free from the, the guck of, of pretending that we have it all together. Isn't that really what sin is? Pretending that we can get by without God? Trying to turn to something else for God? Trying to replace God with something else? And so on Palm Sunday, we have the opportunity to share our story the same way that those confirmation students did. Remember we were singing that song right before the sermon? This is my story. This is my song. And I'm not going to go any higher than that. But praising my Savior all the day long. So now we're going to do something a little different. I'd lo- I mean, this is, this is the truth now. Sustenance. And there's more truth written on the rocks around the room. This is what someone else wrote. Love. Grace. 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 Perspective. Gift. Forgiveness. Oh, wait. There's more. All of these proclamations of Jesus' power to bring about the things that change this world. Every single one. And so now, what I ask you to do is to take the palm that you've been given as you came in and not use it. Leave it at your seat. Please. Because just like those disciples on that first Sunday did, on that first Sunday did, I want you to come up here and I want you to rip it off the wall. I want to rip it off. They rip it off of a tree. It's going to be easier here. And just to take your palm branch. And I don't want this to be anyone else's testimony other than your own. I want you to think very clearly about God's goodness in your life right now. What is it that you can proclaim that you need to be saved from and that you can also praise God for in your life?
What is your personal experience of who Jesus is in your life? And then take that palm, and I'd like you to, we're going to turn the lights up a little bit and, and walk around and just review the words that are written on the rocks at the ends of the aisles. Just walk around the room in not any order. And as you do, you don't have to look at the rocks just to, just to recognize that God's goodness is as real as a palm branch, as real as a real donkey, that this story really happened and that it's really happening in our midst and then you can return to your seat and we will continue to worship God with our offering. So just come up here as you, as you feel led um, and our Virginia Road will, will continue to lead us in worship and then again, just circle the room with your palm and then we will lift God up together as a community.